and welcome to EQ's podcast and our Without Boundaries series. Here, we share ideas and practical solutions for how regulated business can make positive change. In this episode, we focus on operational resilience and the challenges of building this into all areas of your business. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, I'm Anthea from Equinity. I'm an account director within the Hazel Card division. We work with a number of organisations to provide them with support when they have a challenge with their own operational resilience. So we're often asked to stand up teams at short notice to help our clients out in times of need. Um, So joining me today is uh, a good friend and business colleague of ours, Scott Wolveridge from Gain Credit. Hello. Um, Yeah, I'm the operations director here at Gain Credit. Uh, which is the UK's leading subprime uh, instalment loan provider. So uh, today we've got some good questions around operational resilience uh, to go through and hopefully the audience out there will learn from some of the challenges that we've gone through together over the last year with the pandemic um, and how we can focus on making our uh, businesses more resilient as we go forward into 2022 and beyond Um, because the FCA has recently revisited their operational resilience plans and there's a there's an ask out there to as soon as practical after the 31st of March 2022 and no later than the 31st of March 25 um, they're asking businesses to focus on their operational resilience um, in order to make sure that if the pandemics occur again that you know what priorities businesses need to have in place uh, in order for the customers to have a seamless experience. Um, So Scott, would you say, you know, that's potentially why the FCA is making this a priority at the moment? I I would imagine so. Um, Certainly this organisation, like many others, um, ran around with its trousers on fire for a little while after the pandemic hit. I don't think anybody's BCP really envisaged what happened with COVID. Um, So to an extent, we were making policy quickly uh, and implementing things in a way that we hadn't envisaged before. So I would imagine that what the FCA are thinking about is getting organisations like ours and and others, of course, to be in a position to cope with that kind of thing, should it ever happen uh, again uh, in a a more controlled way. You know, we, we are pretty proud of what we did, but but it wasn't an easy time for us, uh, like it wasn't for lots of organisations. No, I think there's there's some quite large names out there who really struggled to get their operation uh, to a remote working basis. And there was a lot of challenges, particularly around phone systems. Um, so I can imagine that that will be a key focus area for firms going forward in terms of keeping that communication up. But I think at Gain, Scott, um, we've talked about many a times, haven't we? You've got various methods uh, that you put in place so that, you know, don't necessi- necessitate a call with a customer. It's not It's not all about phone calls. And for, for us, resilience means customers can do what they need to do when they need to do it at the time they want to do it. Now, that may be through traditional channels like phone calls. Um, it, increasingly, it's through channels like live chat and self-service. Uh, where people can um, serve themselves by going to their accounts. Uh, and, and so for us, that means enhancing the capabilities of their online account, enhancing the, the capabilities of chat. And chat there splits into 
human chat, so essentially somebody at the other end of the line typing back at you, um, and the increasing complexity and usability of chatbots. They've been around for a while, um, but the early iterations were uh, a bit questionable in terms of their quality and responsiveness. They are getting better all the time. Um, and our view is as more customers get used to using them more often, they will be more prepared to use them in the future rather than doing the traditional thing about just typing, speak to an agent. Um, you know, the equivalent of, of pressing zero on your phone pad until you speak to somebody. So we're spending quite a lot of time and energy um, investing in that to figure out what customers want and, and um, presenting options to them so they can self-serve um, on the chatbot, both with static text, which might be essentially the same as an FAQ, like tell mm -hmm. me what the interest rate is, uh, or tell me what my next payment is on how much interest is due and, and the things that will be specific and dynamic. So we think that is um, an opportunity for us as well. Um, and increasingly, we're, we're looking to have people either self-serve or be dealt with via a chatbot. We won't ever switch off the other channels because there's a need for some people to contact us by phone or by email or by, by live chat, and there are circumstances when it's appropriate. Um, but the more we can make this self-service, A, the more resilient we become, uh, and the broader we can expand yeah. our access in terms of hours of the day. Yeah, all good points there. So. Gain, do you feel that gain is quite far advanced in your own operational resilience plans? Uh, well, I can answer yes or no. Um, um, <laughs> do, do I think we've done a good job? Yeah, I don't think we've done a bad job from where we were when the pandemic struck. Um, you know, we've, we've spun up a, a new contact centre in the UK in what seemed to be like record time. Uh, we've implemented a brand new telephone system. Uh, we've changed our chat infrastructure twice uh, to enhance it in the last year um, uh, and our performance has been very strong in terms of contactability for months now, even though we still have everybody at home with all the challenges that brings. Have we finished? No, there's a lot more to do. Um, there's a lot more to do. Um, and, and that includes things like improving the chat infrastructure, as I've just mentioned, mm -hmm. and, and cracking the conundrum of the virtual water cooler, um, where people are in an office, some information gets around very easily and very quickly without too much difficulty, um, because everyone's in the same place. Uh, when you're doing things remotely, there are additional challenges to that that require organisation and control. Um, multiple Zoom meetings uh, are a bit more cumbersome than the boss walking out of his office and saying, listen, everybody, I've got something to tell you. We, we think we've done a pretty good job in terms of resilience. Um, and I, I could tell you a story of, of success that we switched our phone system, set up a new uh, call centre in record time, uh, trained a range of people at home, uh, which was a new challenge. Uh, we switched our chat array twice in the last year to improve um, the opportunities for improvement of the bot. So I'm very proud of what we've done and our contactability is, is pretty much perfect at the moment. But we haven't finished and we think there's more to do. Um, I mentioned before that we think there's opportunities within the chatbot space of doing this in a way that keeps customers happy and doesn't alienate them. Um, but there's also the issue around um, how we look after our team and how our people feel. Um, multiple 
participant Zoom calls, I think, are an experience that we're all learning about and how to recreate the water cooler moment and the sense of belonging and the sense of togetherness that being in an office will bring when you're sitting at home in your back bedroom um, with a dog barking and the kids playing downstairs uh, is uh, is a challenge and we are still working through that. Indeed, it's hope, hopefully this time next year we may be back to a business as usual operation. Um, it will look, I think, quite different uh, with flexible working and different days in the office and not everybody back in 100%. Um, but I think, you know, from all firms' perspectives, that enables their operational resilience to be implemented quite quickly in the event of um a business failure, doesn't it? You know, it, it helps keep that remote activity. So I think firms will never have to go through standing up teams on a remote basis to the degree that they did in 2020 um, ever again. Scott, we made great strides in the UK, didn't we, standing up the operation as we did mm-hmm. last year. But you've also got operations in India and the US as well, haven't you? So how how do the plans differ, if at all? Um, they're broadly the same. The, the difference in India, particularly, is around the. Um, I mean, the size of the country is different, and and we have to be uh, alive to things like uh, inclement weather. So uh, places like Chennai, where we have uh, an operation and and people, uh, tends to be subject in the monsoon season to cyclones, which which can have an effect on on power supply. And clearly, if if there's a cyclone passing by your house. You're going to attend to that first. Um, so the, the the geographical separation we have in India is more pertinent than it is in the UK, um, where it's not likely to be um, that it's not likely to be a cyclone in Reading while in Cardiff it's sunshine. Um, so, the, but broadly, it's the same. Other than that, um, having the capacity for people to work at home, having infrastructure set up making sure there is the provision to get laptops um, around to people if they need it um, and the use of uh, of virtual networks and and private machines so we can transmit data securely um, around the network uh, without risk of data loss. Um, There was a good deal of effort went on as we were setting up um, the post-pandemic array to make sure that where people were working at home we were protecting customers data but through the use of virtual machines um, and and doing things like not taking payments over the phone mm-hmm. uh, any, any longer um, because it's very difficult to get um, PCI DSS security standards when somebody's working in their back bedroom. There are other ways of doing it uh, which we're working on currently but um, to answer your question it's broadly the same um, except with the climatic conditions in India um, and the infrastructure being slightly different, the geographical separation is probably more relevant. Mm-hmm. So if we take the pandemic situation out of the equation, um, what are your priority services in order to provide a, a, a resilient operation? So you know, obviously in the pandemic, everything changed, didn't it, in terms of the priority was making sure um, that people could have their payment holidays and the FCA brought out lots of new legislation mm-hmm. didn't they so if we take that to one side for a moment you know <clears throat> I'm not sure what could happen that would test our resilience in the future quite in the same way that we've experienced in 2020 um, 
would your priorities be, you know, getting the lending out still with that front end? Or how, how do you decide which what priority services need to be available to your customers? It's, it's an interesting question. Um, and g- given the market segment we serve, um, a number of people who come to us for loans will need money and they'll need it in very short order. Um, so being able to provide loans quickly and easily, which is part of our stock in trade, will always be important to us. It, it is more difficult to assess credit quality in the middle of a pandemic with, with people on furlough um, because you simply don't know quite what their situation is. But beyond that, the things that are going to be most important to us, again, given our market segment, is ensuring that customers have the ability to pay us when they need to easily. And that's not because we're um, being especially rapacious, but because we don't want people to fall behind with their payments. Um, so that's very important to us. Uh, and then the other thing that that is, is important to us, it, all lenders will have this issue, but it's particularly pertinent for our market, is if customers are in trouble, and experiencing financial difficulties to have a mechanism for them to tell us that and for us to provide suitable provision for them in a rapid way. Now, that may be a deferral. It may be a longer term payment plan uh, or it may be signposting to um, uh, external debt advice through somebody like Money Helper or Step Change or PayPlan or someone. Um, we've spent quite a lot of time on, on that topic. Um, in the past, um, everybody knew that the way to do that was via a phone call because customers would absolutely want to talk to you. Uh, what we've learned is that that isn't necessarily the case. And to do these things uh, online is possible. To do it via chat interactions is possible. To gather the data you need uh, to calculate income and expenditure properly uh, and make a rounded view of a customer's affordability for future payment arrangements. That's something that we think is really important um, and we will continue to work on. But it was it was something that we developed very quickly after the pandemic and will always be a core part of what we do, given the nature of, uh, of our lending. Mm, I think, you know, it's a good point there in terms of the different ways people can access your services, because certain people might be a bit embarrassed that they cannot afford their payments and feel more comfortable dealing with the chatbot rather than dealing with a human who they think might judge them um you know yes. for- uh, I, I think i think that's absolutely right and we spend an awful lot of effort making sure that our um folks on the phone or on chat do not appear to be judgmental you know there but for the grace of god and so on um but we think that's true certainly with payment deferrals Uh, We're about to launch some experimentation now about people going into um, uh, debt relief uh, instruments, IBAs, DROs, DAS, Mm -hmm. and so on, um, to see if what the appetite is for doing that uh, um, online and through chatbot as well. Um, we, We have a hypothesis that doing that remotely without needing to speak to a human may be um, attractive because it will remove any residual feelings of embarrassment and shame that may go along with it. We would never try to make someone feel like that, but um, we think it's worth testing. If it works, we will roll it out. If it doesn't, we won't. Yeah. Also, it gives them access to your services at a time when they're in the right headspace to do it as well. 
Yes, Doesn't absolutely, it? that's right. So clearly you can do these things 24 seven. Um, we're running manned operations, uh, has a cost and, and we don't do it 24 seven. It's not needed to be there 24-7, is it, from a human point of view? No, uh, we, we will look periodically at what, what the traffic is, um, both on chat, on voice, um, uh, to see where people are coming in and we will you know, trim our opening hours if we need to, to be there when people want us. Um, you know, it used to be the fashion some time ago to have 24-7 phone operations. It's not needed now. And it does put a heavy overhead on the business where that money could be spent more usefully providing other services elsewhere. Yeah, and I think we've had the conversations in the past, haven't we, about weekends as well? Um, because we, between us, we track how many calls come in at the weekends, don't we? Um, yes. So we're open Saturday mornings, isn't it? But we're not open on a Sunday, for example. And I think that, again, is part of the trend that's happening out there. But people, of course, because you've made those investments in your technologies, is that they've got access to you on a Sunday um, because of those technologies you've got in place. Yes, yes. I, I mean, most, most of our customers do tend to transact during the week rather than, than Sundays. We know Saturdays are much quieter um, than other days of the week. Um, but it's important to be here when people need us to be here uh, uh, rather than than having people here just for the sake of saying we're open. That isn't useful for anyone. What would you consider to be your biggest vulnerability in relation to operational resilience? Um, we, we are concerned about the labour market in the future. Um, the organisation is growing, um, which is very positive. So we're feeling quite bullish about the future. Getting the right people in the right place at the right time uh, is always a challenge. And given as economies in, in, in all of our areas are coming out of lockdown, finding the right people, um, I think, may be an issue for us. Uh, we're working very hard on it. So that's that's something we'll spend some more time on. Um, making sure we're completely alive to what consumers want uh, is another question for us. Mm -hmm. uh, Anthony, you and I have talked about this a number of times, which is people in my job get terribly excited about bots and IVRs and so on and, and, and bits of kit that defray people talking to humans. Um, uh, when I'm a customer, uh, I want my problem solved. Uh, and that might mean I want to talk to a human. So getting the balance right between providing automated services and providing services that people really want um, is something we spend uh, some time on and we'll need to keep close tabs on so we don't get overexcited about the technology for its own sake. It's a, it's a valid point. And as, as we've said, you've got your, all those multiple channels for people um, available to everybody. So, and, you know, obviously we're a partner with you in terms of providing that outsource service um, with some voice um, activities. The FCA love uh, how people manage their third parties. So how do you make sure you're managing your outsource partners um, to keep the FCA at bay? Well, it, there's, there's two parts to this. One is... Um, we're, we're very careful not to fall into the trap of customer supply relationships. I don't, I don't very often wave the contract at you. Um, and we think of the Equinity people as an extension of our people. So we talk a lot. 
we know what's going on we have a good honest open relationship um and we share things uh and that's really important equally by the same token the very fact of having a partner like you means i choose not to get involved in the day-to-day -day management um, and the day-to-day -day staff issues that crop up and um, there's a little bit of don't keep a dog and bark yourself um i i would prefer you to do it because you're best at it and that's why we've hired you to help us out with it but we keep a very open line of communication uh, we talk a lot we allow you to focus on the things that you're good at and you manage the service and tell us what's going on so we 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 work hand in hand and and i think having that kind of relationship is so important and this organization has had lots of relationships with lots of suppliers in the past some of which have gone well some of which have gone badly uh, and that is partly down to the way we have managed them and it's partly down to the way that organization has responded to us one of the things that we that we think very well of equinity is we can have straightforward conversations when things are going badly as well as well um, mm -hmm. that without either party resorting to uh, well paragraph c subclause b of the contract says that um, i know we, we just want to be practical don't we in terms of we know there's a customer um you know that customer means as much to us as it does to you uh, we're protecting our reputation as much as your reputation and 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 that's at the heart of everything that we do um, absolutely absolutely and you know look i i was very happy to come and talk to you today and that says something about the way i think about our relationship um I'm prepared to invest the time because uh, it makes sense for me to have a partner who's who's getting stuff done that they want to because I, I'm envisaging a long-term relationship. This is not transactional as far as we're concerned. Oh, that's great to hear, Scott. Um, coming back to our operational resilience then, um, something that the FCA is very keen to ensure is that no harm is ever caused to the customers. How does GAIN approach that in terms of the, the, your own plans around operational resilience? Um, it's kind of embedded in the way we think about the world that, that um, can I first do no harm. Somebody else has said that before. Um, if we ever find that a delay or an absence has detrimented the customer, for whatever reason, uh, we will make good that uh, delay or detriment. And that, that may be... Um, you know, if we were told something and we didn't do it, uh, we will put the customer back in the position they would have been had that issue not taken place. Um, so from time to time we make mistakes like everybody does. I'm, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say we're perfect. And when we do, we'll make um, restitution actions, whether it's contacting the customer, making small payments or whatever to say sorry. Um, but we look at that really closely. We monitor um, what our customers think about us. Um, through regular satisfaction surveys, um, as well as our contactability. Um, so we know what people think, uh, and we know where our strengths are, and we know where the areas we need to work on are, uh, and we focus on those. Um, I hope that's answered your question. I think so. I think it's it's a difficult one to answer because, you know, harm means different things to so many different firms, and in your position, um, your customers 
they're not calm isn't going to be brought into them in terms of that lending obviously irresponsible lending aside but I know gain is very um cautious in their approach and and thinks through who you lend to uh so in terms of the harm if your operation went down it would be limited wouldn't it um out there whereas if you look from a life and pensions perspective customers anyone getting advice that's where probably customers are a bit more vulnerable um, around the potential for harm because they could that advisor may not get the right product for the customer uh, they may lose money on the investment and things like that so there's there's different ways of that harm will mean different things to different firms well three three things to say there the first thing which may may be a bit obvious is we do not provide financial advice so that issue simply doesn't arise for for this organization um the second thing to say is, is that we are principally a fintech we're an online business all our customers will apply online um their funds will be transferred electronically they will pay us by um continuous payment authority so we don't have checks flying back and forth we don't rely on phone calls and face-to-face selling um, so just intrinsic and embedded in the way we do business um, the fact that we're an online business makes some of that stuff a bit easier uh, and then the third thing to say is we have well-developed um, uh, focus on vulnerability there's a very very rapid um, escalation route for anybody who is expressing uh, particular vulnerabilities, uh, which may lead to to particular actions. Now, this may be physical or mental health issues. Uh, It may be life experience issues. So um, uh, an unexpected dramatic job loss or bereavement, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. We we have processes in place to get those customers, to get those cases to more experienced, more empowered staff to make a sensible and prudent decision. Um, so that people don't languish in the hell of a procedural um, uh, route where what they need is somebody to listen to them and deal with them in a special way. Um, it, it is, it, it's something the FCA is very concerned about at the moment, vulnerability. Um, but but we have, uh, it was if you remember, Anthony, it was the start of our relationship. When we began talking to Equinity initially, it was to provide a, a UK-based high-skill um, uh team to deal with these cases and, and our relationship has expanded considerably since then so um it, it is we, we spend a lot of time on yeah we could talk for a whole nother podcast couldn't we in terms of vulnerability so yeah. uh, we'll save that one for another day but it, it is a you know brilliant point in, in terms of making sure that the vulnerable customers are looked after followed through and it's a from an operational resilience perspective you know the pandemic has evidenced how important it is to know your customers and know what they're going through and be able to have that empathy with them and help them as best you can and you know the fca they were quick at getting those payment holidays and those ideas out Um, and i know that the policy statements followed up afterwards but the breathing space initiative and other things that have come out since has helped I, I mean I think it's helped firms a lot in terms of raising vulnerability on the agenda um, and it's obviously going, it's, it will be number one in terms of firms in their operational resilience being there to help customers 
when um, they experience these vulnerabilities, whatever they may be. Yes. yes. So how do you bring together um, your organisation and prioritise your operational resilience? You know, who, you know, who are the brains that you would get together in the business in terms of, you know, assessing where you're at and prioritising your services? Um, it, it, it's a collaborative effort because it, it goes across the organisation. So I'm so I'm responsible for operations, right? So my my um, concern here is that we are here, we are able to talk to customers, and we know what we're going to say to them um, when they've got a question for us through whatever channel. Um, I need to work very closely with my colleagues in the product team who will decide what we are uh, what we are selling and at what price. Um, and our customer management team who will determine things like the collection strategy, the write-off policy um, and and the forbearance policy, at what point we will give people deferrals and uh, extensions and so on. So um, it is it is a collaboration and sometimes I will be asking a question of my colleagues about I've got this circumstance, what do we think the best way of doing dealing with this is? Other times it may be um, someone else in the organization compliance for example in the circumstance you're talking about saying the fca have now decreed that this is the the procedure on deferrals and payment holidays in the pandemic where do we stand on it have you got it sorted so we will talk about it quite a lot um and it is everyone has their own um individual requirements as part of their functional responsibilities to do the right thing um so there isn't there isn't one individual who looks after it um it's all of our responsibilities. Another topic for another day, senior management regime, because that comes under there, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all accountable, aren't we, for everything that goes on within our businesses. Um, so if you were, if you had some um, words of wisdom for people out there, what would you recommend that they do or suggest? Don't want to present, you know, suggesting that we give advice. Um, what, how would, you know, approaching operational resilience, um, what would your top tips be? Um, well, I, I say this a lot internally, but um, what if it was your mum would be the way to think about it to begin with, which is if in, uh, put yourself in the shoes of a customer or, or the relative of a customer, what would they expect? What would be reasonable in the circumstances? So what what we think is reasonable today, right now, is a little bit different to what we thought was reasonable in April and May of last year in, in the middle of the pandemic. So put yourself in the shoes of the customer, um, I think is, is important. Um, then think about what the art of the possible is um, and focus on the things that are gonna be most impactful if you can't do everything you want to do. Um, there are occasionally some difficult choices you need to make. We had to do so in, in the pandemic about what services we were going to provide and what speed of service we could deliver. Um, so being clear eyed about that and choosing what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, I think is very important as well. And then making sure uh, it goes back to, to the last point, really, is that functionally uh, each of the areas stands up for and um, advocates its own requirements um, you know we fight like cat and dog internally about what's important and what's going to get prioritized and um, if we didn't have passion and vigor about it um, 
we wouldn't have the balance that we end up with. Um, so I think being being committed to delivering what you're functionally obliged to deliver is important too. It is. And I think the pandemic has helped us learn so much as, as businesses in terms of what is important, what isn't important to focus on, um, which can only help people, I think, going forward when they look revisit their plans around operational resilience. Um, there must be lots of things that people want to capture in those plans, which should make it a lot easier for them to uh, comply and adhere with what the FCA are asking uh, firms to do. Yeah, I, I I think that's right. Um, yeah, we we learned a lot about the abilities and and willingness of people to deal with um, non-human channels. We learned a lot about what our opening hours needed to be, and we learned a lot about um, the technology that's available on the market. Some of it is better than others, um, and it is worth spending time finding out. Yes, do you want to name any firms? Name drops there for anybody? Uh, I I probably ought not. <laughs> Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground here today, Scott. Obviously, you know, we have been working together for since March 2020. Um, and we know there's still work to do around our own operational resilience. I think we've got some conversations going on at the moment uh, around making sure that we haven't got any key dependencies. Is there anything you would like to comment around what we're doing within the team? It, 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 yeah, it's an interesting point of view. This for an organisation of, of our size, um, where you know, if you're Barclays or Lloyd's and you've got call centres all over the place, there's always 25 people who can do the particular job. Um, one of the things that we have identified is that there are some key person risks, and making sure that there are um, handover plans in place and that processes and procedures are documented properly. Uh, it is something that we've we've learned is valuable to do, both because if somebody does um, fall under a bus or win the lottery, um, there's somebody else who can step into their shoes quite easily. It means holidays don't turn into to, um, gaps in, in continuous uh, service. And it means if anybody wants to challenge um, a particular procedure or a decision that a document exists explaining both what it is and why that decision was made and when it was brought into in into operation so uh, there's more we can do on that um it, it is particularly relevant for for medium-sized organizations uh, where it may seem like an overhead but we have found this to be uh, although it's a bit painful to do from a standing start it pays dividends over and over and over again to have handover plans, documented processes, and clarity of who does what and where data is stored. Um, we, we've got more to do, but I, I'm so glad we started that. Uh, us too. And I think it it's, it's demonstrates the partnership that, what, that there is between our two firms, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think yeah. the way that we're heading will help provide you with what you need to evidence to the FCA in terms of how resilient our operation is. Um, and the joined up approach that we have between us. So I just wanted to thank you for your time today, Scott. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, we've got some topics we can cover on future podcasts and um, really grateful for your time today. Thank you. That's my pleasure, of course. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from our Without Boundaries series. If any of the topics resonated with you today, do get in touch by emailing withoutboundaries at aquinity.com.
or for more information, visit our website, equinity.com, and check back soon for more podcasts.